This is EdTech Weekly, and this is episode 87. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and in tonight's show, 10 EdTech Accelerators That You Should Know, The Women Gender Gap in EdTech, Is EdTech Exploiting Students, and Integrating Coding into the Average Classroom. Christy, I missed last week. I did not do it by myself, and I blame you. Oh. Okay, well, I'll take the heat for that one. That was my fault. I'm well, sorry. I was on vacation. The truth is you were available to do it on Wednesday, and I was not prepared, and I could not do it Wednesday. But I blame you, and this is actually a backhanded compliment, because after doing the show with you, I really just I, – I feel terrible doing it on my own because I just know how much worse it is without you. Aw, thanks. Aw, that was almost sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, it would have been a fine show just without me. You would have just done the news and it would have been okay. No, it's awful. It would have been awful. So I, you know what? I saved the listeners a show with only me. And we are back this week and I'm excited. And let's just get to the show as we always do with the EdTech News Rundown. All right. In our first story, the tech advocate brings us a story about the 10 EdTech accelerators and incubators that you should know about. I would assume anyone listening to this show is clearly into ed tech or you've just stumbled upon this and you just haven't switched the – I don't know. I don't know why else you'd be listening. Let's be honest. Perhaps you've had an idea, uh, something that you know would help students or teachers and maybe get you a piece of this billion-dollar ed tech industry. And if you need help getting started with that, and these t- 10 companies might be just what you're looking for. I'll just feature number one on this list here, Learn Launch Accelerator, it's called. They offer two EdTech-focused programs that run for either three months or four weeks in exchange for 6% equity in the company. I feel like Shark Tank here. (laughs) Based in Boston, Learn Launch has a mentorship team of more than 150 individuals who offer discounted services and intensive coaching to new startups. Now, maybe 6% seems like a lot. I don't know. I guess if you've got nothing, 6% isn't the worst. Please check out the rest of this list if this is something that you're interested in, and that's at edtechweeklyshow.com. Now, Christy, shall we contact one of these companies with our ideas to help make us mil- – I mean, uh, to help students and teachers? Well, Ricky, I was thinking, would they fund our podcast, and would you give up 4 to 6% equity in the company to do so? Are you insane? 6% of this – I can't give away that much equity in such a juggernaut. <laughs> There's no way. It just doesn't seem fair. 2%? Ooh, maybe. Maybe. I'd consider. Okay. Well, that does sound interesting for 6%. If you do have an ed tech startup, that might be worth it for, you know, to help our students and teachers. I mean, you know, we're joking, but seriously, if if you are somebody who has these ideas and has no way to know how to get started and all these type of things, uh, it doesn't sound like that terrible of a thing. And some of the other companies might do it for less than 6%. Um, that's just what Learn Launch does. But it's definitely something to check out if it's something you've wanted to do and you have no no way to know how to get started. All right. Good article. All right. Our next story by eLearning Inside News features companies who are bridging the gender gap in ed tech. I guess if we really want to make sure EdTech has diversity, then we not only need to report on the companies that are doing it well, but maybe also support them and their services if they are worthwhile. The article breaks down companies based on their amount of gender parity. The best best one is Coursera, who not only had a female co-founder, but also had gender parity. And two companies with a bit of work to do are Instructure and Blackboard, two leading LMSs. 
They do mention that Instructure has been upfront about it and has made par a parity pledge. I don't know. What do you think about this, Ricky? Is this something that surprises you based on the percentage of women in ed tech? Yeah, and I'm and I think what I was what I was going for there was you know, the women in education in general um is a high percentage. So it it is surprising to me um in some ways. I mean, I feel like it's almost expected sadly um still in our society that we're still sort of lagging behind this. Um, I feel like with all these initiatives, and we'll talk about this in in in, in our fourth story uh, tonight. It, you know, I feel like we're we're paying lip service to this, like we're we're sort of saying yes, we need parity, and yes, ed tech, and yes, and, and these things, and yes, we need women in coding. But I, I don't know that we're going the extra mile to make sure that happens. So I think, you know, obviously one of the strongest ways we can is by using our voices, by using our dollars, especially with companies. And making sure that they have that parity. And I, and I don't think it's a, you know, a lot of times we get, and this is a much bigger discussion about parity and equity and having, you know, an equal amount of diversity and these types of things. But we do have a lot of women in education, a large, large percentage, especially when we're talking about K to five. Um, I think it's only, only right that there should be some representation if you're creating uh, technology that's supposed to be helping this population or serving this group of people that you would have more women there to advise you at the very least. Well, that just seems like good product management. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it just literally seems like, why wouldn't you? So then that begs the question, why isn't it? So is it good old boys club? I mean, what's happening here that's stopping this from happening? Because like you said, it seems like good business. Well, it all starts at a very young age. We talk about how we get more women and or young girls into STEM and coding. And, you know, eventually they grow up to be teachers and can be ed tech users themselves. So maybe it starts there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, like you said, it's a societal issue that's gone on for, you know, hundreds of years. And, and I think when you just look at the, the, the history of women and when they finally got the right to vote and all those types of things in our country. I mean, I think these types of things are developing and happening, but I do find it a little odd that it's not as quickly being developed in ed tech. So check out those companies definitely and see what you think. And I, I would put some pressure um, on some of them maybe and say, hey, you know, why don't you have more female representation here? This is something that we have a lot of people and, you know, at least half or around half of our students are, are female. So we need more representation there. All right, our next article, The Chronicle, gives a thought-provoking article about how EdTech is exploiting students. They're specifically talking about the farming of data. Now, we've talked a lot about data on the show, and this they specifically talk about how students are feeding hundreds of data points to these EdTech companies and their schools with little to no say about what data is being mined or how it's going to be used. Often the companies or schools themselves are unsure how they will use this data in the future or the potential income that it might result in for them. And there may be an agreement that has to be read and signed in these, um, but as we all know, nobody reads these things. And I don't even know that there's an agreement that is supposed to be read. I think it's just some of these, you know, if you're using this, you have to just sort of accept that these are the terms. And the bigger issue addressed within the article is that students have no choice. Either they use the ed tech or they won't be successful in the course and the data acquisition comes as a package deal. The article asserts that students should be able to opt out of their data being mined and used. Uh, Christy, I know this is a huge issue in ed tech. Like I said, we've talked about this many times. Data is king right now. How important is it that we allow students to opt in or out? Should that even be an option? Is it a big deal? Should they 
should we be making money or allowing companies to make money off of the data they're able to get off the students? You know, I think at that last point is what is probably the most important, at least to me. And with everything going on with Facebook right now, like this is such a huge issue about what happens to that data. And, you know, we've talked about before of how powerful it can be as a learning tool and how it could be helpful for teachers and for schools. But when it goes somewhere else and someone else is making money off of it, yes, absolutely, we should be able to opt out of that and protect our students and families and not allow that to happen. So, you know, I think making sure those security agreements that someone does actually read those, um, even if not everyone does, um, so that we we are recommending to students. And yes, the article's right, at times requiring them to do that we are confident in the security of that data and what is happening to it. Yeah, and I think this is another deal of, of you know, EdTech decision makers that are getting these uh, EdTech resources. You should be asking these questions. You know, what are you doing with this data? How do we, you know, how do students have a chance to opt out? What are the deal? What's the deal here? We need to hold them to the fire on that so that they just can't keep doing it without, you know, we're, I think EdTech sometimes, like we've said before, is a little too gentle and nice when it comes to purchasing things, and, and we don't really push as far as we need to. And I do have to mention, just because of the climate with with Zuckerberg and and, and all the stuff that's going on with Facebook, I'm I'm not ups, I'm not mad about the privacy situation only because of all the beautiful memes it has delivered us having him talk <laughs> in front of Congress. It has been amazing. So that outweighs the cost of. Your data being stolen. I feel like it does. I mean, they're pretty good. I mean, I don't know. Some of these things, it's like you almost feel like when you watch some of these memes or watch some of the videos of him, it's like his brain is being saying something like, how would a human do this? <laughs> okay, let's do it that way. I don't know. It's it's pretty bizarre. But um, no, seriously, obviously, data and privacy and security is important. I'm joking around. But I think more so when it comes to students. I think I, I to a large extent, I figured Facebook was doing this, honestly. Maybe they shouldn't have been. Maybe we were under the impression that they weren't. But I always assume when I search something in Google, when I use Google, when I use Facebook, that this is not privacy. I just, I understand the concerns and I understand why it needs to be. But I have an expectation with that that I'm not doing anything private, really. So I wonder, you know, I I wonder in general why we're not more diligent about this when it comes to student stuff. You know, I agree with you right on with the Facebook stuff. You know, I, part of me is, why are we surprised about this? You know, did people really think that this wasn't happening? When you search something on Amazon and then all of a sudden it shows up in your Facebook feed, like that happens to me all the time. It's like it is all connected and it yep. is not private and they are using that. But we also get an amazing free service out of Facebook also. You know, think about the hours that we put in and we don't pay for that. And so at some point, someone's making money off of all of us. So yeah, it's still a serious serious issue, obviously, but I I am on the same page as you with that. And And I know that some people probably will be upset about those opinions. But for me, it's just not something that I assume privacy on. But for our students, we need we need to be more diligent for sure. Yes. Agreed. All right. Our next article from EdTech Magazine explains what it takes to integrate robotics and coding into the classroom. As we know, coding and robotics programs are popping up everywhere, but the next step is integrated, integrating it into other classrooms to reach students who don't naturally gravitate towards coding clubs. It is one thing to target girls with Girls Who Code initiatives, but that isn't enough if we really want to have diverse groups to actually move on to coding in a career. 
The missing piece is targeting students in the places they like and feel confident. If a student loves literature and chances that they go to that coding club may not be high, but if you can find ways to bring coding and robotics into the literature classroom, you may captivate them and help them see a career choice that could include both. If you run a coding or robotics program and are interested in expanding your reach, one of the best ways is to work with teachers to get in their classroom for small lessons that enhance what they're doing. If this is something you want to do at your school, you should check out the article. Ricky, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I'm sorry that I butchered that script for you so bad. (laughs) As I mentioned to you before the show, I was literally listening to a keynote, um, and I won't go into too many details about how good or bad that keynote was, but I definitely was not in my A game as I was writing that. I think the article does a really good job, and I think you should check it out overall of sort of explaining the steps with this process of having coding clubs and how how that doesn't necessarily equate to having more of a diverse group that actually goes into the field of coding and gets jobs out of it. So, you know, and, and as we mentioned earlier, mentioned earlier, I think where we fall short, we pay lip service, we do the right things, we we spend money on these initiatives to get girls into coding, which is, is I'm not saying that's bad, that's good, that's great. But the next step is the part that we are now beginning to see we're having issues with still getting uh, females to that next level where we would like them to be into coding and producing these you know, programs and other things that are more relevant to our world because we need that side and that that other experience to be involved. Uh, so I just think we're learning more as we go along with this that just saying, hey, come on and check it out and this is great and having spending money to get girls in the door doesn't mean that we're creating what we want to just by doing that alone. Sure, we need to make it relevant to what's already being done. You know, eventually we won't learn to code. It'll be how do we use coding with what we're already doing to make it better, um, more creative, and more collaborative. Yeah, and I don't. I definitely don't want to get into controversial of an issue here, but I almost wonder if girls who experience this and go through this process and the first time they hear about coding or do it is through girls who coding, is it a little insulting on some level the way that it's being approached? I don't. You know, I don't know. I wonder if that turns them off at some point because you got me in here by saying girls who code, but it's really just the same thing. You know what I mean? Like how do we push it past that? I don't know. I don't know if that's a relevant comment at all, but it's just something that comes to my mind. I wonder, are we doing enough to make it a part of the system to really include females? Hmm, That's interesting to think about. You know, I think I've got a fourth grade girl, you know, my daughter, and it's like, why wouldn't she code? Why do we need a special club for her? And what does that say to her when we do have a special club that it wouldn't just be the expectation that all kids code? Yeah, and and there's so many ways that you can talk about that with diversity. It's the problem is if you don't have that initiative, if you don't push, then you don't get it and then it looks like you're trying not to. So it's it's a, it's a, I think it's a delicate balance, but I think we're learning as we go still and we're figuring out, you know, hey, getting this into a classroom where people can actually see their passion included in that maybe will be helpful. Yeah. I hope so. For sure. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, well, that's it for the show. We don't have any special segments at the end of this one, um, but we would like to let you know check out edtechweeklyshow.com. That's the website. You want to email us at edtechweekly at gmail.com. We've actually got a couple of emails. I'm trying to suss out the source here and see if – I'm not really sure what's happening. I'm getting a lot of requests for guests, and it feels a little official, and it feels a little um, – I don't know if there's supposed to be money involved in the transaction here. You know? Do you know what I'm saying, Christy? I feel like, I feel like if – 
I I'm be they're being represented, and then when I contact them, they're gonna say, well, how much? I don't know. Maybe I'm completely off base, and maybe it's just weird that we're that legitimate now. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to feel about it. It's a whole new world we're jumping into. It is, and that's why I refuse to give six percent up. We're getting legitimate situations going on here, and I'm not gonna give it up that easily. Oh man. Anyway, <laughs> before stay th- strong, Ricky. <laughs> Right, of course. Um, oh, clearly, I'm joking. Please, if you're taking me seriously at this point, just go back and listen to the first episode with me and Matt, and you'll know that you should never take me seriously. Um, hit up the subreddit, edtechwheelie.reddit.com, posting stories on there as well. Um, and also uh, Twitter, at 4TechTeachers for me, at Christy M. Warren for Christy. And she, as always, I say, is a much better Twitter follow. So go ahead and do that. Hey, you've been all over Facebook this week. Facebook, I'm Lots killing it. Killing it killing it on Facebook. I've, yeah, I've, yeah I'm, I'm trying. Hey, listen, it's it's a slow process with me, as you know. And then also email the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Um, like I said, that's how Christy became a part of the show. And she ruined ruined me for doing the show by myself because I'm like this I can't do it by myself it's just there's an expectation now because of you Christy so yeah appreciate I don't I don't think it's me I think it's hard to do a podcast by yourself you need (laughs) someone to talk with so happy to be that person I've heard people do it but I agree I I really think it's nice to have somebody else there it just makes it a little bit easier all right Christy well that's it do you have any little tidbits that you'd like to share with the people as we head on out today um, totally not ed tech related, but if anyone has any experience turning a school bus into a food truck, I would love to talk to them. Well, all right. That's email the show edtechweekly at gmail.com. That's we've surprised you sometimes. Food trucks and ed tech, why not? This is Ed Tech Weekly. We'll see you next time. <laughs>